0: Welcome to the NFL! Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ Dynasty War Zone. That's right, rookie run down. We are creeping ever, ever, ever so closely to the NFL draft. And with that, it is time for me to release the episode that you all have been waiting for. It is my final pre-rookie draft, pre-NFL rookie draft, Dynasty Fantasy Football Rankings. Um, And these are four rookies coming into the 2022 class, guys and girls. I'm going to be going through my top 12 at the quarterback and tight end position, and my top 24 at the running back and wide receiver position. Um, I've talked a lot about quite a few of these guys. Um, I have no idea how long this is going to take me. We're just going to kind of fluidly go through it, and hopefully you stick around hearing uh, some of the later guys that uh, you may not have heard me talk quite a bit enough about. Um, But without further ado, we're going to skip all of that intro stuff, just try and hop right in after a minute. And Dive into the quarterback position per usual, guys. Um, for the, any of you that listened to last week's episode regarding my combined rankings of the 2021 and 2022 dynasty rookie prospects for my pre-draft rankings, um, you knew that my quarterback one um, creeped up from the prior couple of rankings that i had had where he was sitting at QB2 for me. And I'm going all in on my guy, Desmond Ritter, out of Cincinnati. I just think he has... When it comes to floor, one of the highest floors at the quarterback position, but then with the athleticism and the strong arm that he has as well, he has one of high, one of the highest ceilings as well. Um, there's a couple of comps out there um, to a guy like Colin Kaepernick, which I don't hate at all. Um, it's not a bad comp. It's right down the middle of the road, fits quite a few of the, honestly, quite a few of the upsides and the downsides that Colin Kaepernick had coming out of Nevada in college. And it makes sense. Um, He had a prolific career at Cincinnati, one of the most winningest quarterbacks in all of NCAA football. I just think that he is going to be the safest. There's not as many question marks with his game and his basically his only downfall being his accuracy and inconsistency. But it's not a mechanical issue. It's more of just a weird thing that keeps happening. Um, I really do think that the best fit for him would be going to Pittsburgh as their backup behind Mitchell Trubisky this year. Mitchell Trubisky can keep them as a middling team. They can add another big-name wide receiver either in the draft or in the NFL free agency next year, and then you roll into 2023 with Desmond Ritter as your starter at quarterback, allow him to sit, learn this year, and hopefully be a very successful franchise quarterback for an illustrious franchise that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, But going on to QB2, if you listened last week as well, you're going to understand the top five or so. You're probably going to know for all my positions. Number two for me was actually my previous number one. It's Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. Um, For him, I comp him quite a bit to a guy like Marcus Mariota. It just makes a lot of sense when you look at how he plays, the play style, the athleticism, the quick release, the quick arm, and the quick decision-making. The only downside that typically you see with him is there's a slight inconsistency when it actually comes to his accuracy. But plot twist, that is an issue that every single quarterback in this draft class has. Uh, but what you're looking at with Matt Corral is the same thing, athletic upside. He is a guy that a lot of people like to play behind, and he doesn't have the hesitancy that Marcus Mariota had coming out. That's why I think he's an ideal fit, honestly, to go to a place like Atlanta behind Marcus Mariota, learn from a guy that has the same play style as him, the same athletic traits as him. Um, honestly, just the same build as him as well. It would be a good fit. He's my QB two. I just think he's safer than everyone's pretty much consensus top two quarterbacks who come in at three and four for me. Three for me is Malik Willis out of Liberty. Yes, his athletic traits are insane. His rushing ability is very good. His deep ball is very nice, but what is the concern is the massive accuracy issues, the massive inconsistency in play recognition, and his overall stupid boneheaded interceptions. Um, You don't get a lot of the crazy decision-making from a lot of the other quarterbacks in the class where you're like, why did he throw it there in this type of coverage, or why did he throw it there in a double coverage type of situation? and that's what you get with guys who are a little bit too confident in their overall ability. He was a transfer to a smaller school, couldn't cut it at one of the bigger schools, went down, dominated the competition to an extent during his junior year, sorry, his sophomore year, then he comes in his junior year and throws almost three times as many interceptions as he did the prior year. Um, Some question marks. I just am not there with Malik Willis, but these top three do equal my first, Tier of So basically, the way that I have my rankings is that I do have set rankings, both in a tier system and in an overall one through 12 or one through 24 on these ranks, guys. But I also have the tier rankings where you're looking at basically my blocks of players where my tiers are defined of I wouldn't be shocked if anyone in this tier ranked anywhere In between one through three or one through five, or in some of these tiers like one through 10 to 11, I wouldn't be shocked at all. But I would be shocked if they fell either below that tiers threshold or went above that tiers threshold. So for this top tier of guys, I would be shocked if anyone from the lower tiers was better than them on a long run dynasty fantasy football consistent basis. But, um, Other than that, they're the cream of the crop at their position. So this is where the cutoff goes for me. You have Malik Willis, three, Matt Corral at two, and Desmond Ritter at one. Going into the next tier of guys that I think will be pretty good. Um, There's probably going to be a couple backups in this tier, but there's probably going to be a couple spot starters or a couple of guys that get a couple seasons in this one. I have four players in my second tier at the quarterback position, leading off that tier at number four for my quarterbacks is none other than can he pick it out of pit um he's got small hands i talked to about him a ton um, i don't see him as an illustrious prospect i think he's an off-brand Derek carr which at that point you're getting a mac jones type of character so yes he's cool yes he can be consistent um he's kind of fun to watch he's got a little bit of a grittiness to him but at the same time when you're looking at him play he does have some inconsistencies in his game he doesn't have the athletic tools that the guy's All three of them above him have, so that's why he slotted in at number four. Number five for me is Sam Howe at the University of North Carolina. Um, Sam Howe has more athleticism than anyone else that's going to be in this tier with him, Um, but he has more question marks than almost anyone as well. Um, He doesn't wow you with pretty much anything that he does. He does have the athleticism, like I said, to run the ball, but he doesn't have the frame really to run the ball. Um, He has quite a few fumbles on his resume from running the ball as well, and you just haven't seen it at the intermediate passing level, the accuracy that you need to be a just monster, of a QB or a consistent rhythm passer that he would want to model his game after. They like to compare him to a guy like Baker Mayfield and the difference between him and Baker Mayfield is Baker Mayfield is very, very consistent on his rhythm passing and his intermediate passing. That is something that Sam Howell needs to work on drastically. Number six for me is the shocker at the quarterback position for most people. Um, it's Kyle, uh, sorry, Caleb Ellaby out of Western Michigan. Um, for those of you that know, I've talked about it a couple of times, but everyone likes to talk about how they love Sky Moore and they like him as a prospect. I think that a lot of Sky Moore's production came off of just bonkers throws from a guy like Caleb Ellaby. Um, I think, equate him in my comp for him is basically just like a small school Tua. Um, if he went to a bigger prospect with some better schools, um, school players that were playing with him, if he had better offensive linemen around him, I think he would have really shown. Um, but he's got insane accuracy. He might have the best accuracy out of all the quarterbacks that I'm going to talk about today. Um, and it's probably not that close. Uh, he doesn't make any boneheaded mistakes or anything like that. It's just his deep ball is not exactly elite and his arm strength is an elite. So he's just one of those kind of middling prospects like, a couple of guys that'll follow. Um, I just think he has the most upside of all the quarterbacks remaining. Number seven for me and the last player in this tier where I would not be shocked if they ranked anywhere from four to seven is Jack Cohn out of North, uh, sorry, not North Dakota, out of Notre Dame. Um, He's a guy that just keeps popping off the field. Every time I see him, I went back and watched his tape a little bit more after the senior bowl where he looked very, very good. Um, He's got a massive arm, and he is just a big dude. He's got a lot of velocity behind him, and he reminds me a little bit of a guy like Jay Cutler. Um, He just doesn't have that pinpoint deep accuracy that a guy like Jay had. Um, He also does not really have like any athleticism to it at all. He's kind of a statue, which is where you start to get into some of these guys later on that I'm going to rank, but I wouldn't be shocked if in the right system or if he was in a true pocket system. I know that we don't like to talk about those type of quarterbacks, but say like a Matt Ryan, where you don't expect him to run at all. You don't have any read options, no boots in the system. It's just a drop back or a shotgun system. Um, I think he could succeed at the next level and he's probably going to be a perennial backup, (laughs) kind of like a chase Daniels type, um in the league where you might get a couple starts, surprisingly, over the next couple of years from a guy like Jack Cohn. That might surprise you. Uh that ends tier two. This next tier is a tier of five players to round at the top twelve, and they are all guys that have massive holes and massive question marks at the quarterback position that I don't think are gonna amount to anything. And so They're just kind of big names where if I was going to roster in deep, deep, deep leagues, like I'm in a 16-team Superflex league with all IDP, I might roster a couple of these rookies after the rookie draft or even late in the rookie draft just to see what they might become, see if there's any opening, and especially if any of them get surprising draft capital. But number eight, and the first in the tier for me, is everyone's kind of darling of this of this class, it's Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. Um, I think he is pretty good. He set a lot of passing records this last year. Had sixty touchdowns, which is just nuts. Um, but when you look at his game, he's got some accuracy concerns. He is a hundred percent air raid quarterback, and he's not good at reading. Pretty much everything went to the first read. So if you're gonna knock a guy like Justin Fields, you cannot be elevating a guy like Bailey Zappi, who's not even remotely the same athlete and doesn't have a lot of athletic traits at all. Number nine for me, I really debated putting him lower, but a guy named Carson Strong out of Nevada, I just don't like anything about his game. Um, he's a statue. His knees are hurt. Um, everyone raves about this bomb, like absolute mortar shell launcher of an arm that he has, but every time I've seen him throw this off season, it's looked like lollipops. And I'm not talking about like game tape. If you've seen him in actual production uh, in these bowl games, in these actual. Um, when blanking Pro Day events, he hasn't looked that good, and I don't see why everyone loves him so much. Uh, number 10 for me is E.J. a brown He is a collegiate, um, all-American, scholar type of guy, the classic Ryan Fitzpatrick who didn't, had a very good, normal Ivy League career but probably won't amount to anything in the NFL just because he has a kind of a reserved play style. He's a system quarterback, likes to do the quick rhythm pathes, passes. I equate him to a guy kind of like Trevor Simeon. Um, The guy with the most amount of actual upside probably in this tier for me is Brock Purdy at 11 out of Iowa State. Um, His decision-making is the worst in the class, and it's not even close. But if he can just learn how to make the appropriate decisions going forward, he could actually be a decent quarterback. He's got all the intangibles. He's got all of the physical responsibilities that you need. It's just when you're looking at an overall – Quarterback, he's got to make the good decisions on a regular basis, and Brock Purdy has some of the best highlight tape, but easily the worst like low-light tape you will find in this entire class. Um, Again, this is a tier of just wild cards, as uh, Charlie would say. Wild cards, if anyone gets that reference. I love you. Um, but yeah, Brock Purdy is one of those guys where he was a Devi darling for quite a few years, but looking at him now, it's just hard to get excited about him unless he actually sits for a couple of years and he'd be a prime candidate behind one of those hall of famers. Um, you know, like an Aaron Rodgers, not that they're going to draft another quarterback, hopefully. Um, but like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Tom Brady, where if he would to come in and actually be able to sit for two to three years and learn behind them, I think you could teach him to be a better quarterback. And then the last one around this one out is one of the funner, yes, I use the word funner. One of the more enjoyable quarterbacks to watch just from a highlight reel type of play. And that's dusting from out of Kent state. Um, he's one of the athletic freaks in the class, the quarterback position where he can just sprint around the field. Um, he reminds me a lot of like a small school, Johnny Menzel type of deal in that situation. Um, but he has the same issues, not a good passer of the football, um, Honestly, could probably turn into a slot type receiver and might do decently well with a position change, but it's just kind of fun to watch him. Um, if you're looking off of upside and guys that will go into training camps on different teams, realistically, I think he's one of those prime candidates to make a team or a position on a team that he wouldn't normally have made gone into the draft cycle. That wraps up my quarterback position. As a reminder, I have Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, and Malik Willis in my tier one. I have Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, uh, Caleb Ellaby, and Jack Cohn in my tier two. And my third tier is Bailey Zappi, Carson Strong, EJ Perry, Brock Purdy, and Dustin Crum. Reminder for how the tier systems works, just because I know I kind of explained this a little bit. Um, I could see any ranking of the players that are within the same tier, but it is very hard for me to see an elevation or a demotion of players from individual tiers into other ones. So a guy like Malik Willis, I don't see ever having a worse career than a guy like Sam Howe or a Caleb Elleby or a Jack Cohn. But at the same time, I don't see Kenny Pickett having a better career than guys like Desmond Ritter or Matt Corral. And that's just overall how I'm looking at them as prospects coming in. But um, we'll try and avoid talking about this as much as possible and just talk about the prospects. Um, going into the running back position, I only have two players in my top tier, and it is Mr. Brees Hall at one and Kenneth Walker at two. I talked quite a bit in depth on both of those players last week, but uh, Brees Hall is pretty much everyone's consensus 101. He ran faster than I anticipated to. Um, he is a very good prospect. He is a very, very sound prospect in all fronts. I just don't think that he is quite as hype-trained ability as guys in the past of like a jonathan taylor he doesn't have the same type of game he doesn't have the same type of skill set and he's not the same type of player i think if we're expecting him to be like that and people are just immediately vaulting him into their top five dynasty rookie running backs i think that's a mistake um sorry not rookie running backs dynasty running backs i think that's a huge mistake to do uh, especially if you're ranking him over guys like joe mixon you shouldn't be doing that in dynasty regards of whether or not he is younger or not uh, number two is Kenneth Walker, as I said, out of Michigan State. Um, he's the biggest boom-bust player. Um, he It's gotten popped off a couple of times. He does remind you quite a bit of a guy like um, Rashad Petty when you look at like the athletic gifts and how physically he runs, but he reminds me a lot of a guy named um, Melvin Gordon, if you remember him, um, running style-wise, not pass-catching-wise, but also Melvin didn't have a lot of receiving production coming out of Wisconsin. Just from a true runner, they're one of the best the best types of players I like to watch, I guess. Um, it's just when they get the ball, they just explode. And they're very, very, very good at the outside zone run. Um, it's just really fun to watch them. And these are the two that are by far above the rest of them after all the athletic measurables have come in, the sizes have come in, and looking at their tape. Um, tier two for me is another two-player tier, and that is Mr. Isaiah Spiller at three and Brian Robinson at four. So Isaiah Spiller at a Texas A&M. The measurables were not great. Um, I was concerned about the long speed, and that was a checkbox that uh, I should have been concerned. Um, he didn't run very well at his pro day, and he avoided all running basically up until that point. Um, so it's not exactly a good look for him. Um, I don't really think he has a ton of athleticism to really give you, but as I said, um, I comp him to a guy like Damian Harris and I think they run in a pretty similar capacity. They're deceptively good at creating their own space, and they're pretty good in tight windows. It's just they're not going to break your back with long speed or anything like that, Um, so it's hard to project him as like a total ceiling guy. But from a draft capital-wise, I think he might get a little bit higher than a guy like Brian Robinson at four, and that's the only reason that I'm preemptively ranking Brian behind Isaiah. I actually might like Brian Robinson a little bit more. Um, He's kind of my guy. Uh, the, next, the next like three running backs are kind of my guys in this running back class, and it's just due to the physicality, the size, and the explosiveness that all these three players will have. Um, I think Brian Robinson is a tier above the next tier of players that I'm going to talk about, but I just love his game a lot. You guys have heard me talk about him a lot, and I just think he's perennially <laughs> disrespected every single day in this community. Uh, that ends the tier for tier two. Uh, Again, I think that Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker are pretty much locks to have better careers than any of the running backs below. I think Isaiah Spiller and Brian Robinson are as well outside of Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. And then going into my tier three, it's a tier of four players and all of them play very differently. Um, It's just very interesting to see the landing spots that they're going to get and the overall draft capital that they're going to get. This is actually the tier that I'm the most excited to talk about and the most excited to see what happens come draft time. So this is probably where you're going to see the most shakeup in my draft, um, in my post-draft rankings is in this tier from RB5 to RB12. But in my tier three, I just have four players. Leading off at my RB5 in this class is Mr. Pierre Strong at South Dakota State. Um, He is Tony Pollard. That's my comp and has been my comp for a very long time. You're seeing some of the big names finally start to talk about Pierre Strong and his possibility of success after his combine. Um, He absolutely lit up the combine. He came in heavier than I anticipated him to. He still ran extremely fast, and he's just always like he's getting shot out of a cannon. I love watching him play. He's very fun. Does he have the best contact balance? Absolutely not. But if you're using him how he is used in college, you're just asking him to see hole, hit hole as hard as you can. And you know what players do that very well? Guys like Derrick Henry. Exactly. Derrick Henry is not the most elusive guy. Yes, he's a lot bigger. Yes, he can break contact. But guess what? If you're getting four or five yards before you're contacted every time, it doesn't really matter. Number six is, for me at the running back position is a guy I haven't talked about a lot, but after all of my film grade analysis and everything like that, I was kind of shocked to see where he is. Abram Smith out of Baylor is actually number six on the running back rankings for me going into the pre NFL draft. He's a monster. He's a one-year producer, but he went for over 1,600 rushing yards, double-digit touchdowns, saw over 200 receiving yard work with about 20 receptions on the year. So he showed that he is a valid, that binary valid decision like I always talk about at the receiving game for the running back position. And he's also just an electric runner of the ball. It's just really fun to watch him run. He's an extremely, extremely physical running back. And if you haven't watched his tape, this year, I strongly consider that you go and take a look at what he was able to do at Baylor this year. Um, He just runs with like reckless men and he's coming in at six foot, 215 pounds. He's just going to be really solid. Um, I think he's going to go in potentially as like a rotational player, but he's a guy that I would have extreme confidence if he goes into any type of backfield that doesn't have a true workhorse in it to just absolutely blow people out of the water with his physicality and then his long speed uh i just think I just think it's very interesting to see where he's going to land. If he gets any draft capital on day two, I'm 100% in on Abram Smith. I'm probably going to be drafting him significantly higher than some other people have him, and I think I might have him (laughs) quite a bit higher than ECR. Um, The next episode, for those of you that are curious, is going to be going over my rankings compared to the ECR, Um, maybe comparing it to a couple of guys the DWZ Network just to see where we differ, but primarily looking at the big-name media market, some of the other big analysts that are on the Twitter sphere on our uh, timelines that we see all the time and seeing where some of these players rank and differences, just to go back and actually see if I'm not being a little bit too hot, taking on some of these guys, but I'm just going straight off of my film grades and straight off my production metrics. Um, But yeah, for me, Abram Smith is a fun watch. I like him a lot. And when I was looking at his overall running style, I like him more than, like, not even like kind of. I like him significantly more as a pure runner than every single person remaining on this list. And maybe even a couple above him uh he's he's good but it's just the question mark of why couldn't he do it earlier is what everyone's gonna say and i would say he didn't get the opportunity the baylor coaching positions changed while he was in college it makes a big difference but he just blew people out of the water this last year um and i i just can't stress enough that you guys need to go back and watch his film from this last year number seven on the running back position for me is jerome ford out of Cincinnati. Um, Everyone knows I've been talking about this guy for a while now. Um, He is a lightning in a bottle type of player. He is a very streaky on the outside player, kind of like a guy like Naheem Hines is. Um, Very athletic on the outside. Very good at outside zone in a similar way to Kenneth Walker. He just doesn't have the lateral agility quickness that you're looking with some of these players. Um, I think he's a very similar player, honestly, to Pierre Strong. He just doesn't have that top-end speed that Pierre Strong has. Um, And... He he's, he's really, really bad in pass protection, um, and there's no way around it. He's just not very good, and so that's my biggest concern is like if you're going to use him on third down, which he didn't really even show at Cincinnati that he could do as a passing back, um, we know he can't pass block, and that's something he's going to have to learn. So I think his touches on the field are going to be limited, and if he doesn't get super high draft capital like that day two, I'm going to be pretty much out on a guy that I liked prior to a lot of this draft analysis that I had. Going into my running back eight and the last man in this tier, it is Keontae Ingram out of USC. Um, Keontae Ingram transferred from Texas, went to USC, um, has yet to have like a true, like, I mean, bona fide breakout season, but he's looked actually very good the last two years. He got basically kicked out at one of the better running back prospects that we're going to see over the last decade. In Texas, that's why he had to transfer, wanted to redo what he needed to. But he's got the requisite size, 6'2", 215. He is just a big boy, and he moves very, very well and very, very quickly for a guy that size. His inside-outside agility and his quick cuts are impressive for how big he is, and I'm excited to see where he lands. He's another guy, if he gets day two draft capital, wouldn't be shocked if he starts vaulting up people's ranks and my individual post-draft lists. But right now, he's at the bottom of this tier just because when it comes to his total overall game, his total overall production that we've been able to see. You have to project the most when you're looking at a guy like Keontae Ingram as opposed to some of the other backs that I've talked about. Going into my next tier, it is another tier of four players, seems to be a theme for the running back position as I go forward. Um, But leading off at running back nine in my overall rankings is Zamir White out of the University of Georgia. Um, He's a guy that dealt with a lot of injuries. A lot of people are comping him to a prior running back, um, the beefcake known as Mr. Nicholas Chubb, out of the same alma mater, University of Georgia. But for me, uh, the reason that I have Zamir White lower than quite a few people is just through the fact that, again, it's a lot of projection. He never really blew people out of the water. He never had bonker numbers. He never had a ton of production in college, and he was constantly competing with another running back that's not even really a true running back in my eyes. He's more just like a slot gadget-wide receiver type of guy in James Cook, who, funny enough, is also in this tier for me. Um, Zamir White, if he gets the high draft capital, I know someone's fully invested in giving him touches, but until I see that, I'm pretty well out on him. At my running back 10, I have Mr. Tyler Algier out of BYU. Um, he came in slower than he was toting. He came in with less agility than I anticipated him to have. And it's one of those things where it's like he was fed so much at BYU that, yes, the production is impressive. Um, there's a couple of guys on this list with impressive production that are not ranked as high as a lot of people probably have them ranked from you know just a dynasty standpoint. But when I look at Tyler Algier, it's just hard to project him getting a ton of workload being as slow as he was in that 4-6 range, um, so if, if he doesn't get the draft capital, I'm going to be pretty much out on him. Uh, it's just hard to project a, an elite fantasy season or an elite uh, fantasy like block of a season for a guy like Tyler Algier. Although you could see a similar vein to a guy like Ramondre Stevenson last year where if he gets into a rotational role, he does have some explosion into his game. That's why he's in this middle tier of guys that I just need to see draft capital. That's what this third tier is for a lot of my, um, sorry, not third tier, My four, third, end of my third, beginning of my fourth tier is typically guys that I just need to see the draft capital for me to even remotely consider moving them up or down. Um, they're just my middle guys. Number three in this and number 11 in my overall Running back tier is Mr. Tyler Beatty out of Mizzou. He had one of the most prolific seasons you'll see from a running back last year in the same vein as a guy like Abram Smith, but the reason that he's an entire tier down and an entire five people behind a guy like Abram Smith is the overall size, lack of physicality that he can play with just due to his limitations of his athleticism. Um, I just don't see him getting a full workload in the NFL, and if you're not going to get above basically 14 touches a game, I really don't really want to mess with you as a player. In a similar vein, the guy who is the most hot ticky or the highest on everyone else's boards, that's probably the lowest on mine in consensus comparison. That's a lie. There's probably another guy a couple spots, but um, James Cook at the University of Georgia. Zamir White's running me. I just don't get the, uh, the Zamir White and the James Cook hype. Uh, the split backfield, it's a worse version of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. And we've seen elite play from one of the two players with an athletic profile that is significantly better than both of these two running backs that is in this class. So I just don't get the production. I don't get the projection for either player. Um, I think James Cook be, could be served as a utility back. Um, like I said, like that gadgety slot type of wide receiver, but if they try to use him as a true running back, I don't think it's going to pan out very well because you have to really start funneling your running backs to rock and short dump offs. So if he doesn't end up in a place like a new England, like a Tampa Bay, which I think is the best spot for him would be in Tampa Bay where he can be a true three down running back where he's constantly getting receiving work or just a true third down running back. Um, I just don't think his upside can be anywhere near what people are projecting it to be Uh, going on to my next tier. Um, This one is actually a tier of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight backs. Um, Once again, I could see any ranking playing out post-draft for any of these guys in this tier. I just don't see any of these guys being above the tier above them, short of the scat backs in the tiers above falling into this one and some of the larger backs that I'm concerned about draft capital or some of their holes in their game getting very good draft capital. Leading off this tier at my RB13 is Kennedy Brooks out of Oklahoma. Um, when it comes to just collegiate careers, you have two guys back to back for me that have very, very productive and very, very elite production over the career that just don't have the best athletic profiles. Kennedy Brooks is pretty big. He's pretty average speed. He's pretty average agility when you look at his overall metrics, but he just knows how to run the football. He's very good at running the rock. And that's what I look for if I'm looking for rotational players. So I have a feeling I'm going to have quite a bit of Kennedy Brooks if he gets day two or early day three draft capital as that late three, early fourth-round pick in most of my dynasty rookie drafts. Number 14 on the running back list in the second in this tier is Sincere McCormick out of UTSA. Uh, I really wanted him to run fast. All he had to do was run fast or show any type of agility, but he had one of the worst athletic metrics out of all the running backs in this class. And when I look at that, I had to drop him. I had to drop him out of my top 12. He's sitting at 14. He's flirting with this. If he gets good um, draft capital, like I said, I could see him rising just because I'm more comfortable because an NFL team is more comfortable. Um, but until that, I can't see him going any higher. Uh, Rashad White is a little bit too much of a production uh, projection for me. Um, he is a very good receiving back, but uh, as a pure runner, I don't think he has that true the true contact balance and breakaway speed that you need to run at the next level. Um, I think he was a good college running back in the same vein as a guy like Kennedy Brooks or sincere McCormick. He's a little bit bigger, but he runs upright. Um, He reminds me of a little bit of a guy named Latavius Murray, Train, upright runner. Um, I just, I need to see it from him. I need to see the commitment from a team on draft capital, like all these guys, like I said, and I just like Kennedy Brooks and sincere McCormick's overall production in college quite a bit more than a guy like Rashad White. Um, The guy who is, without a doubt, the highest projection player um, in potentially the entire draft when it comes to uh, the running back position, it is Damone Pierce out of the University of Florida. Um, He had almost no collegiate production. People like to chalk it up exclusively to the coaching that was happening while he was an early producer there. Um, He does look explosive while he's on the field. He does look very physical while he's on the field. I just haven't seen enough to say, yeah, I'm all in giving in a high draft capital or any of my rookie capital to a player, unless I see that an NFL team is committed as well. Going into my running back 17 and the fifth person in this tier, one of my favorites just from a true speed back, um, doesn't have the agility metrics and (laughs) <laughs> wasn't as fast as I wanted him to be. Um, Tyler Goodson out of Iowa. Um, he is a speed runner. He is very good at in, in between the tackles and even a power ISO runner. Um, it's just I don't see it translating to the next level very well. Um, so it's hard for me to rise him up unless he gets into, like I said, a good landing spot. Number 18 for me is one of my dark horse candidates. This is the guy that might be able to rise the highest out of this entire group and maybe even into the next tier. Might be able to break my uh, tier system a little bit. It's CJ Verdell out of Oregon. He's a guy that was extremely productive in college, had pretty good to above average athletic measurables at the combine. It's just he's a little bit undersized, but he's not an undersized and thin guy. He's a Pretty thick, low to the ground, five nine-ish running back. Um, so if he able is able to get into a rotational role and show me on a team that is, uh, you know, in need of his skill set, he's a very physical runner, but he's also a very fast runner. I could be a lot higher on a guy like CJ Flordell in this draft class as compared to some of the other guys. Number 19 for me, um, he didn't fall completely out of my top 24. Don't worry, guys. Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. For me, Kyron Williams uh, still has one of the best upsides out of anyone in the class just because we've seen him do it and he had production, uh, productive two years. It's just um, he doesn't have great contact balance. He doesn't have great speed. He doesn't have great hands. He's a very good pass protector, which will help him on third down. Um, but overall, he's just kind of a meh prospect from an athletic standpoint and from like a tape standpoint, he doesn't really pop off the tape. When you look at him, he just kind of has counting stats. If you're overall looking at his game, um, rounding on my top 20, um, the last person in this tier as well, Hassan Haskins out of Michigan, um, one year producer. Once again, he's one of the most physical runners in this entire class, but, He's just like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of player where he's just very average across the board. He's a rotational back. He'll probably be a career backup that may give you a couple of double-digit games across his entire career, but you're not going to be able to rely on him because you're probably not going to know when they come, and he's probably going to get you random goal-line touches that you weren't expecting. Going into the last year, this is just a, a tier of four guys that they they could go absolutely anywhere. Um, wasn't in love with any of their tapes. Each of them has a little bit of a different stand a uh, stance in a lot of people's dynasty rankings, but they're just four guys I'm not really high on. Um, the last ones that I would basically feel willing to rank because the rest, I think, are just kind of a waste of time. Um, the top two in this at 21 and 22 are the two South Carolina running backs at um, Kevin Harris at 21 and it's white and 22 kevin harris is a true just in your face slam it down your throat repeatedly run at you type of guy. a white is a little bit shiftier but he's a little bit slower than a guy like kevin harris um kevin harris takes contact very very well and is very good at creating space in short amounts he reminds me quite a bit quite a bit of a guy named michael warren coming out of cincinnati actually two years ago um, i like their play style i just know it doesn't translate very well to the nfl um, going on to 23, Ty Chandler. Everyone's kind of darling as of late in this running back class. Um, his production at UNC was pretty much just because he was force fed and the only running back. Um, he is a very good punch returner. So that is something that he could immediately get a role and stick in a roster. I'm just not as high on him as some other people. I just don't think it's going to translate very well. And then the last one, actually talking about at the 24th running back for me is Justin Warren out of Oklahoma State. Um, This is a running back who is very, very good in a spread scheme, but he has to play in a spread scheme. Um, He's quick to the outside, but he lacks power. He lacks the ability to catch passes fluidly and is pretty easily jammed off his routes to where he's running pretty ugly routes. So if I'm looking at a situation like this, Justin Warren is just the last guy where there's enough upside to be at least a little bit intrigued if he lands, even as an undrafted free agent on a team that needs running back depth but I'm not going to be relying on him making any difference for my fantasy teams going forward. As a quick recap of the running back position, my top tier had two players. I go Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. They're my true elite running backs in this year's class. The next tier was another tier of two players with Isaiah Robinson followed by Brian Robinson. Remember, there's a strong chance that I believe Brian Robinson to be a better running back overall than a guy like Isaiah Spiller. I just want to see some draft capital confirmation of that. The next year uh, sorry, the next two tiers are four players apiece, going five, six, seven, eight with Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State, Abram Smith out of Baylor, my highest riser, and probably the most hot ticky out of all the running backs in this class, Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati at seven, and Keontae Ingram out of USC slash Texas at eight. The next tier is two Georgia backs in Zamir White and James Cook, as well as the big boy but slow boy, Tyler Algier at BYU, and the quick twitch player that my boy Brendan um, likes so much in Tyler Beatty. Uh, that rounds out my top 12, so looking at the next tier of players, you're looking at eight guys that I think could be anywhere in this Overall range, in Kennedy Brooks out of Oklahoma, Sincere McCormick out of UTSA, Rashad White out of Arizona State, Damone Pierce out of UFC, Tyler Goodenson out of Iowa, CJ Verdell out of Oregon, who is my dark horse in this group to rise all the way to thirteen, Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame, and Hassan Haskins out of Michigan to round out the overall top twenty. My last tier, as I just talked about a little bit, are guys I don't have a lot of confidence in but are the last four that I feel comfortable ranking based off of how much tape I watched and really where I see any type of upside at all, and that is Kevin Harris and Zaquandre Wright out of South Carolina, Ty Chandler out of UNC, and Justin Warren out of Oklahoma State. So that comes to the fun position where I can talk about all of these guys forever, but these are the most evenly distributed out of any of the positions right now is when I'm looking at my overall wide receiver tiers. So when I'm doing a breakdown, my first tier has five players. My second tier has eight players. My third tier has six players, and my fourth tier has five players. So we have a pretty even distribution. It's kind of hard, but there are hard cuts for me at the end of each one of these tiers to where I'm like, all right, that's a definite step down from the player prior to them in the rankings, and I'll address that when we come to them. So diving into my first tier of wide receivers and following Pat, with what I had with last week's episode, my first wide receiver overall is Mr. Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. I just think from an athletic profile standpoint, the size standpoint, the collegiate production standpoint, and the overall dominating nature of his film when you see him on the field, the ways that he was used, he has the highest absolute upside out of any of the players that are on this list. From the wide receiver position, yes, there are some question marks, but there's a reason that this first tier is five players. I strongly feel that at the end of the day, after the first year, any of these five players, depending on landing spot and depending on draft capital, could very, very, very easily be the number one wide receiver going into next year, in a similar vein that we've seen over the last couple years, where there's been a couple of surprises for the dynasty ranks outside of a guy like Jamar Chase, um, where things have kind of shook up. People aren't really sure where they're going to rank other wide receivers that came out that were, you know, touted as being the number one wide receiver in the wide receivers class, just because there's so many perennially that come out that are all blocked together as elite prospects. Number two for me, my favorite guy. I won't talk about him anymore. Everyone knows that number two for me is Chris Alave. He's the smoothest out of the entire class. He's the safest out of the entire class at the wide receiver position, and I am standing pat with that. I think the draft capital is going to strongly show that as well. Number three for me as well is running mate at Ohio State. Garrett Wilson. Um, he has a slightly higher ceiling than Chris Olave, but they're pretty similar players in the way that they play. I just think that right now, Garrett Wilson is still the less polished of the two. He has a little bit better of a contested catch ability than a guy like Chris Olave, but from a raw speed standpoint, the ability to just separate and not even really know that you're being separated from, I think Chris Olave stands alone in this class. Number four for me is the guy that could probably rise the highest of this entire group with the most upside, but due to the injury and due to the unknown landing spot and that one-year wonder, the asterisk next to him of not being able to beat out the two Ohio State receivers before him, um, Jameson Williams comes in at number four out of Alabama for me. And then number five and the last guy in this tier for me is George Pickens. He's the last guy where I look at him and I'm like, all right, yeah, you could be like a true alpha elite X on the outside, be exactly what you need to do. You have the requisite speed. You have the requisite size. You have the requisite hands. You're just very good at separating. You're very good at ball tracking, which is the most elite prospect trait that he has. So this is just where the tear break comes for me. And then you get into players where I think there's quite a bit more production, um, that is dependent on landing spot, scheme spot, and overall offensive competition. Um, Coming on to this tier, uh, number six for me and the highest that probably anyone has him, uh, Khalil Shakir out of Boise. Everyone knows he's my golden Tate of this class. Run after catch is where he is elite, and I just think that he is going to surprise a lot of people with both draft capital and his ability in year one. If you liked Amon ra St. Brown, this guy's a better overall, over-the-middle player than Amon ra was last year. Number seven for me is Drake London. A lot of people probably want to punch me in the face whenever I talk about Drake London. Um, But for me, it's just... He he just doesn't have it I don't know like I get his film is fun to watch he's huge I am I try so hard not to just sound like a complete contrarian when it comes to a guy like Drake London but just like the amount that he was funneled the ball in this offense was insane and it's just really hard to see what he would do he's had some injury concerns he's not as big as we all thought he was he's not as fast as we all thought he was he's coming off an injury like I said um I just am much more comfortable taking the six players that I have ranked above him than where you're going to have to take a guy like Drake London in a draft. Again, if he goes top five, obviously draft capital is going to tell you that you need to pick him. He'll be a riser, and I'll be like, okay, cool, NFL knows more than me. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to fight it if it happens. I just Right now, I just like quite a few guys better than I like a guy like Drake London. Number eight for me is David Bell out of Purdue. Um, David Bell right now, he had probably the worst combine showing outside of a guy like Kyron Williams and this entire rookie draft class, regardless of position. Um, But from an overall prospect standpoint, a profile standpoint and a production standpoint on the field, he's still an X. He's still a productive X and he was able to produce in the big 10, which is a no joke conference. Number nine for me He's a guy that he's probably going to land on either a really good team or a really bad team, and it's going to drastically change how people view his draft profile. But overall, he was been injured his entire collegiate career, but if you liked what he did as a freshman, which we all did with Rondell Moore last year, that's basically the line that I'm going with. If I if I was able to see past just the early production that you saw with a guy like Rondell Moore, the explosiveness that you saw with the Rondell Moore prior to the injuries, I don't know how you can't do that with a guy like Justin Ross. Um, as long as he gets the draft, capital clearing him of all injury concerns there's some talk of him going to some pretty big name teams that may end up helping them out and being an elite fantasy production for you at the wide receiver position. show justin ross is number nine and going on to wide receiver number 10 for me it is probably the guy that's the least talked about these back-to-back two wide receivers both out of the same state actually uh are the guys that no one's really talking about and one of them Fell underneath the radar due to injury. The next guy after him fell underneath the radar for no actual reason. He was the hot talk of the offseason right when the NCAA season ended, but he's kind of died down on a lot of the prospect talk right now. Number 10 for me is John Mechie out of Alabama. Um, He is probably the best and most secure and safe run-after-the-catch slot wide receiver that's going to be in this class. I have him squarely in this tier where I would not be shocked if he gets even... I would say if he if he creeps anywhere in that like late second or third round, I'm going to be much higher on him than I am right now. And that's just based off of me waiting to see exactly where he lands with the injury and to see if he's going to be a value for a team or if a team might, you know, reach up for him. Uh, it'd be a really good guy. I'd like to see on the guys uh, on pretty much any of the NFC North teams would be instant day one starter at the slot in an upgrade at that position for them. Um, But in a similar vein, the guy following him out of South Alabama, Jalen Tolbert. Um, These two guys just aren't talked about pretty much at all right now in the fantasy scape, and both of them are soundly inside of my top 12 at the wide receiver position. Uh, Jalen Tolbert has one of the most complete games. He has quite a bit of speed, and he has very, very good hands. He's a little bit smaller than a guy like John Mechie, but realistically you could see them playing a very similar role with a lot of run-after-the-catch responsibilities at the next level. So I'm excited to see where they land. Um, As I said, and they are soundly inside of my tier two at the wide receiver position. Coming in at wide receiver 12, the second to last player in this tier, Mr. Christian Watson, the combine darling himself. He blew every metric out of the atmosphere, basically, when he was testing in Indianapolis. Um, I'm excited to see where he lands, but he is extremely raw, and I just don't see him being that high-end ceiling type of guy. I think we might be projecting quite a bit more than what we're actually going to be getting from him, but it's really hard to pass up that athletic matrix that he brings to the table when we've seen guys like Chase Claypool, guys like Josh Gordon, guys like Calvin Johnson just break molds and absolutely break the NFL at the wide receiver position. The last guy in my tier two and my overall 13th wide receiver in this class is Sky Moore. So a lot of people will tell you that Khalil Shakir and Sky Moore are very similar prospects. They have a similar game. And yes, that is true. They play the same. Um, They have the same type of body type um, to an extent. But Sky Moore is lighter and slower and less explosive than a guy like Khalil Shakir. So although they're in the same tier, and realistically, I could even see Sky Moore getting a higher overall uh, like draft profile and draft grade from an NFL team. The overall explosiveness that you're getting from a guy like Khalil Shakir as opposed to Sky Moore pops on tape. And run after the catch, it's not even close. Um, A lot of Sky Moore's production, like I touched on in the quarterback rankings, came from Caleb Ellaby in Western Michigan, and I'm just one of those guys where I'm not as high on him as a lot of the people, but I do recognize the type of production that he's had the last two years at a school like Western Michigan. Going on to the next tier, I have six players in this tier of wide receivers, and these are basically all of either the thin, wiry guys or the skyscrapers, thick-bodied wide receivers without speed that I just need to see where they're going to get drafted. They had solid college production all in different capacities, and some of them are coming off of injuries, but I just have an issue basically ranking anyone that is underneath that 5'9 to five, nine and a half range and underneath 180 pounds, anywhere even sniffing with my top 12 and any of the big guys if you don't have a lot of high end speed then it's just going to be overall concerning for me um also just looking at my rankings I'm just now realizing that I forgot one of my favorite guys that would probably be at the tail end of this last round in Alec Pierce um so we'll just go ahead and stick Alec Pierce at wide receiver 14 now that I'm realizing that looking at my rankings um I don't think he's in this tier I have quite a bit higher hopes for a guy out of Cincinnati like him um I just want to see his draft capital Uh, Going to lead this next year though, I have Romeo Dubs out of Nevada. He is the prototypical X on the outside. Um, He has extreme explosion off the line of scrimmage, but his run after catch is pretty much non-existent. His contested catching is pretty bad for a guy that's his size and as built as he is. So you would have liked to see him dominate a little bit more at the catch point, being 6'2", 215 pounds. Um, The thing that's concerning the most about him is the way he catches the ball. I touched on that on last week's podcast as well. Um, But he is a guy where if a team likes him enough and drafts him on day two, I'll probably be in as a late-round flyer or as a priority rookie-free agent on most of the Dynasty squads I have. Um, I then go back to back to back to back with four players that are all undersized, wiry guys with speed for absolute days and the ability to get open for days, but just have terrible frames that have not been proven with a good track record of comps in the NFL to prove that they will have continued success. Um, that goes in order for me, Jahan Dotson at 15, Calvin Austin at at 16, Wandale Robinson at 17, and Danny Gray at 18. Um, all of them play slightly different. Jahan Dawson is a better interior separator at the slot, but he's a little bit undersized. He'd basically have to be Jamison Crowder and targeted as much as Jamison Crowder is in order to succeed, and I just don't see that happening unless he falls into the lap of a team that desperately needs wide receiver help. Calvin Austin is probably the best Swiss Army knife player in the entire draft, but his size absolutely limits him. He's even smaller than a guy like Rondell Moore, and he's less explosive than a guy like Rondell Moore was last year. <clears throat> Number 17 with Wondell Robinson. Um, he's your prototypical deep speed burner, um, but I just I don't really like him. He reminds me a little bit of a guy named Cyrus Gray, kind of like that uh, Jakeem Grant type of player where he can have a role in the NFL, but it's not going to be a fantasy role for your teams. And then Danny Gray might be the guy that I like the best out of this group of four. Um, Just when it comes to his overall game, it's just he's dealt with some injuries. He is definitely the fastest out of this group, even if his overall 40 doesn't show you that. His game speed is absolutely nuts, and he was extremely good at separating in the intermediate level, which is something that I like to see. Um, I could see him easily rising to the top of this tier, but I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't get the draft capital at all because if a guy like Marquez Stevenson didn't get it last year, which is a pretty good comp for him, I don't see him getting it as well. Then the last guy is another one of those thick-bodied wide receivers at wide receiver 20 for me, and that's Dontario Drummond out of Ole Miss. Um, He was Matt Corral's favorite target at Ole Miss. He saw a lot of heavy use in the slot where he overall was the most productive, and I realistically could see him being a decent slot receiver, but the biggest issue that I have with him is effort. I want to see him actually put it in on the field when it comes to a blocking standpoint, being as big as he is, and I just didn't see that on tape. That's the last player in that tier. The last tier that I have is a tier of four players. These are all guys with extreme upside and extreme production at their individual schools, but not really the athletic measurables or the overall, you know, injury avoidance that you would like to see from a wide receiver going into the NFL draft. They each had quite a few lower leg injuries out of two of the four prospects and then just kind of being slept on because they went to bad schools with bad offenses. Um, Number 21 for me is Amika Mezzi out of NC State. Um, He is probably one of the most explosive players in the entire draft at any position. Um, He didn't get invited to the Combine, which was the biggest snub out of any position for me. When you look at the combine testing this year, um, but he could surprise a lot of people as one of those names in the middle rounds, middle of late rounds, kind of like a Darnell Mooney where he comes in and he fits in a role immediately with a team immediately becomes a situational role player on the team and then gets a bigger load as the team progresses potentially into the 2023 season. Number 22 for me is Mr. Trey Turner out of Virginia Tech. Um, he has speed for days, and he's very, very good when it comes to the contested catch. It's just his route running is pretty poor right now, and he's not the best separator. Um, he's pretty good out of the slot as well, like quite a few of the guys here, but he's a little bit bigger than that. So he realistically could be a big slot at the next level, and he is probably going to be a rotational player. I think he's got enough talent to definitely stick on an NFL roster. I just don't know if it's going to be a fantasy relevant position. Number 23 for me is Valus Jones Jr. out of Tennessee. There's something about Tennessee where that's basically just where a good athletic profile, fast wide receivers or good contested catch receivers go to die. The offense is just absolutely atrocious. They keep getting these really highly recruited high school prospects like a Valus Jones Jr. that go there for some reason and then just do not get any type of athletic offensive production out of them. And then rounding out my top 24 is Mr. Reggie Roberson out of SMU. He's the running mount, uh, running mate to Danny Gray, and he might actually be the fastest person in this entire draft class, even faster than a guy like Danny Gray, faster than the Ohio State wide receivers. Um, the issue is he's extremely small and he's extremely injury prone. He's had four or five hamstring injuries over the last three years. He didn't get invited to the Combine due to the fact that he couldn't run at the Combine. And so you're just looking at a guy that he has speed for days, could be absolutely an amazing deep threat weapon at the next level. But as of right now, it's hard to project him into a role or even a draft spot in this NFL draft. All right. As I said, that does it for the wide receiver position at wide receiver 24, rounding it out. As a reminder, my first tier was five players being Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams and George Pickens. The second tier was a big boy tier of Khalil Shakir, Drake London, David Bell, Justin Ross, John Mechie, Jalen Tolbert, Christian Watson, and Sky Moore. We'll sneak Alec Pearson there, like I said, because I forgot him on the list. And then going into the last two tiers, you have Romeo Dubs, Jahan Dawson, Calvin Austin, Wondell Robinson, Danny Gray, Dontario Drummond, and then the last tier being Amika Amezi, Trey Turner, Valus Jones Jr., and Reggie Roberson. We're down to the last position, people. We're on the tight end position. This one might be the deepest, and that is indicative of once again being big blocked tiers. The first tier has two players, and they're the two players that I could see being elite contributors at the tight end position for your fantasy teams. Immediately year one, just due to the amount of usage that they're going to get on their respective teams, depending on draft capital. Those two are Trey McBride at number one and Charlie Kohler at number two. I've talked quite a bit about these two guys, more than most of the tight ends at the position, so I'll keep this short and sweet on these. Trey McBride is the all-around best pass catcher. I comp him to a guy like a Mark Andrews where he can be elite in an elite safety blanket for a middle-of-the-field throwing quarterback like Lamar Jackson. Um, but he's going to need to get fed because he's not athletically gifted like some of the other ones. But he will stay on the field because he's an elite blocker, and he's very, very good overall as a tight end prospect. Charlie Kohler is the guy that just does everything that you want him to do at a slightly above average level. Um, I comp him to a guy like Hunter Henry. He's always where he's supposed to be. He'll catch the balls that you throw to him. You just have to commit to throwing to him and commit to use him for him to be fantasy relevant. Going into the next tier, I have four players. The top of this tier is Greg Dulcich at UCLA. Um, he is one of the most athletically gifted ones. Uh, he's a true move tight end where a lot of people could see a guy like a Travis Kelsey. Um, I know that's a light, uh, like a Travis Kelsey light comp, not a true Travis Kelsey because him coming out of Arizona was just an insane prospect. But he's got the athleticism. He's got some pretty good one-handed highlight real catches. It's just he's not a very good blocker right now. Um, He's not very good at creating his own space right now in zone. He's actually better in man using his physicality to separate than he is in zone, which is a little bit concerning as a tight end because I want you to be able to find the holes in the zone better. But Overall prospect, he leads this tier. Wouldn't be shocked if he's pushing towards that tier one, depending on if he lands in a good spot or if he has to fight up a tight end depth chart. Number four for me is Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin. Um, Overall, he's like a Charlie Kohler light. Um, So he's a guy that's all-encompassing, who will do everything that you need to do at a slightly below average standpoint is what what I would say. Um, So this is just a very safe floor prospect. He'll probably have a very lengthy and very average career at the tight end position, but he's not athletically gifted. He's not a great separator. He's not a great route runner. He's just an overall okay prospect of catching the ball. Number five for me is a guy who tested a lot worse than I thought he was going to, and that's Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. If he had tested even moderately okay, I would have him pretty high up the ranks, but he put in a 4.840. Um, that's not good speed. That's slow speed. There are linemen that run that fast, and so that's concerning when you're a slightly undersized tight end. But as I've said in prior podcast, he is potentially the best blocker out of all of this entire tight end class, which is something that's very good. You're gonna be able to use him in line and out on the perimeter in the slot pretty easily, and him up the seam is pretty much unguardable. If Coastal Carolina was doing it, I guarantee an NFL team will be able to do it. Um, Wouldn't be shocked if he ends up in Tier 1, but I don't see it without a high draft capital and an immediate hole on an offense that needs a tight end. Number 6 for me is Jeremy Ruckert. He is the last player in this tier for me, and he is the largest projection out of this entire tight end group. That's just due solely to his usage at Ohio State. Um, It's a little bit concerning that he wasn't used more, but anyone that's ever watched that offense, you're trying to feed basically 10 miles at the same time, and it doesn't work very well. Um, There's always going to be a couple of guys that are left out, a couple of guys that are highly recruited, and Jeremy Ruckert is one of those guys. Um, But if he does, again, um, it's just a wait and see. It's all projection, so it's hard for me to have him any higher than this. But I do have hope that he can show some of the athletic traits that he's shown—the crazy one-handed catches, specifically—at um, the next level. The next tier is three guys that have <clears throat> basically they're on wide, like wide, wild spectrums of the tight end landscape. So you have Jalen Weidemeyer at the top of this tier. Yes, he's still inside of my top ten. He's still in top of my top seven, technically. Um, This is a guy who looks terrible on tape, but it reminds me of the same type of situation as a guy like Orlando Brown was, now the left tackle of the Chiefs, coming out, where everyone just thought he was this amazing prospect. You watch the film, you love absolutely everything he's doing. You love that he's doing it against SEC-type competition, but then when he tests, he has the worst testing scores anyone's seen from the position in a very long time. And it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, uh, yes, we care a little bit about the metrics, but at the same time, you just kind of have to watch the tape. And he does look like <clears throat> probably a top two to three tight end in this class, so he's gonna get the he's gonna get the draft capital. I'm just waiting to see it, um, and I want to see where he lands because realistically, you're gonna be able to get him really cheap, and I'm gonna like where you're gonna be able to get him cheap. I just can't rank it, rank him any higher than other guys that I've seen comparable tape to and spurts that tested significantly better athletically than him at the combine. Uh, coming in next at tight end eight, you have Cole Turner out of Nevada. This is a true move tight end. Um, he's not the bless, best blocker in the class by any means. He's actually pretty poor at it, but when it comes to finding the holes in the zones, like I was talking about, being a true offensive weapon piece, I think he's one of the better ones. It's just finding the field as a tight end at his size of you know, 6'5", 245, and not being up to block is a little bit concerning. You're not really going to see the field very much. Ask Bryson Hopkins With the Cleveland Browns, um, how that's going for him, Uh, you can try and find the field for him, but if you're not a blocker, you can't really disguise when you're passing the ball to him as well, and that's usually where you see those move tight ends kind of flounder at the NFL level. On the other aspect, you have Cade Otten, who might be right behind a guy like Isaiah likely in blocking out of Washington. Um, He's a big-bodied dude, super, super, super good at blocking the ball, but he's just not very athletically gifted. He's not going to create that separation, and he does leverage really well on the inside for a safety blanket, but you're not going to be able to throw those deep seams to him because he just doesn't have the chops to go up one-on-one on most of the athletic linebackers in the league. The last tier is three players where it's completely upside, and typically it's going to be completely upside based off of athletic ability, and these are three guys that tested the best and had the most crazy highlights, I would say, when it comes to the collegiate career. And Jelani Woods, Kiyomi Gamble, and I'm not even going to try and say his first name, but a out of Maryland. (laughs) So you have Jelani Woods, who's basically a billboard out there trying to catch passes, um, athletically gifted, he's got a lot of straight-end speed, and he's shown some ability to juke, actually, at the collegiate level. Um, but you didn't see the elite production that you would assume for a team like Virginia Tech, who was lacking wide receiver options on the outside and on the interior and a running game. <clears throat> you just have a team that was looking for weapons and just wasn't really able to get Jelani Woods the ball as much as they probably should. So I'm a little bit concerned when you're looking at an athletic freak like that and not seeing the high-end production on a bad team asking for the production. Number two for me is Gamble. Um, He is number 11 total tight ends and number two in this tier, University of Florida. Um, He was underused the first couple of years, but once this Florida new coaching scheme came in and this new coach came in, He started getting quite a bit of use in the same capacity of a guy like Damone Pierce. It's a lot of production, but he has a good athletic profile. He's right around 6'4.5", right around that 240 range, very quick. And if you want to see a really good game, there was a complete barn burner back and forth with Samford in the University of Florida this last year in November. He put up six receptions for 130 yards a couple of really, really good separation seam routes where he was doing double moves inside, which is not something that you typically see from a tight end. So he could be a late-round flyer. If he comes in and is projected as the number two on a depth chart, I'm probably going to be taking some flyers as a priority free agent in my rookie drafts. <clears throat> and then everyone's Combine, Darley, and Quanco. He's more of an H-back player, he's a utility player, it's really hard to project him at the next level to see where he's going to go, but with that type of testing at that type of size, you're going to see him immediately get on somebody's team and hopefully be used as an offensive weapon. He'll probably get drafted late in your dynasty rookie drafts, but I probably won't be wasting a pick on him, it's just he has the most upside of any of the guys that are remaining. So... Encompassing the tight end position, like I said, we have Trey McBride and Charlie Kohler as my tier one. My tier two is Greg Dulcich, Jake Ferguson, Isaiah Likely, and Jeremy Record. My tier three is Jalen Widemeyer, Cole Turner, Kate Otten. And my last tier at tight end is Jelani Woods, Kay Gamble, and Okwanku out of Maryland. So that's basically it, guys. As I said, I can project a lot of these players... Being anywhere inside their incumbent tiers, I wouldn't be shocked if they were anywhere inside, ranked inside those blocks of anywhere from two to even eight or nine players, like at the wide receiver position. But it's very hard for me to project prior to landing spots any of these guys breaking into the next tier just when you're looking at tape analysis and overall production at the collegiate level we're getting close to the NFL draft we're about 2 weeks away it's exciting stuff i'm excited to see where some of these players land and once again this is not my final rankings for these prospects it's just my final pre-draft rankings prior to the landing spots prior to the offensive you know scheme fits and prior to the overall draft capital they're going to get over the next couple of weeks as i said i will be comparing my ranks to some ecr i'll be looking at some players i may be a little bit hot taking on as well as some players that i just am solidly, firmly thinking are going to be a lot better and a lot higher ranked in my rankings and at the NFL level than quite a few of the other analysts out there. So if you have any questions, you have any concerns, you have any just general comments or things you want to say about my rankings, feel free to reach out on Twitter. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore, that's Salad with two L's, and As always, this has been a Rookie Rundown with the DWZ Network. Until next week, have a great week. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing.